You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. Belly up to the nine foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. I'm Chris. That's Ed. We're friends. We do socks in the basement. It's 30 minutes of socks for fans by fans. And we never stop. Can't stop. Won't stop, Ed. Correct? No, there's no stopping this. There, there, this, this train of socks in the basement will roll on through the winter like the snow piercer, only with a better ending. It's all brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. Check out everything they have to offer at FamilyDry.com. There are incredible sponsors. They're very supportive, just like all the other people that you hear on this podcast, all the other businesses that support us during the season and in the offseason. And we cannot wait to have a very productive offseason. I'm sure there'll be wonderful ideas. There'll be crackpot theories. There'll be some pain. There'll be some rejoicing. There'll be some questioning. There'll be some yelling. There'll be so much that we'll be able to do over the next couple of months. There's also going to be $1,000 we're giving away. Uh, we're going to talk about that before this episode is over. If you haven't heard about it yet, we got the $1,000 guest bounty going on here on Socks in the Basement. It started already, but we probably won't have the first guest from that until maybe November. You know, we're starting to get things rolling. We've had a few names thrown at us. Let's see what happens. But again, all brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. Give them a call 24 7 Waterproof your home, take care of your basement, get water away, don't let anything get damaged, protect your goods, protect your house, protect your family, protect the dog, don't let it get swept away in a flood. Call Family Waterproofing Solutions. Yeah, now I got the dog being swept away in a flood in the basement, but you never know, all right? Uh, 708-330-4466, mention Socks in the Basement, get money off, familydry.com. I want to talk hitters. And fielders. I want to talk players today. Well, as they are one and the same, except for at the DH position. But when the White Sox are rolling out position players as a DH and are rotating guys through, you can basically talk about their defense as well because we don't have Jim Tomey on this team. We do not have Big Frank on this team. We do not have a dedicated DH on this team. No. And, and here's the other thing. I think when we went through the rebuild, I mean, remember, we've been around doing this this podcast, Sox in the Basement been around since 2018 in that season. When you're building a team and you're trying to get to the point that we got to right before the postseason, you really focus on the hitting numbers, right? I mean, you're just building an offense. It's much easier to build an offense. Yeah. But what we saw in the postseason was we suck defensively. Like, we have some things we have to work on. And we also have hitters that didn't come through in big moments. We had some problems with with not performing well at the plate, getting clutch hits. And we have to take a look at all of that. We have to look at the hitting. We got to look at the defense. And I want to hit you up with some offensive numbers because we're going to get to the defense. But let's just give you a quick overview of the White Sox offense. I kind of want to break a few things down for you. First off, in the postseason, the guys that stood out the most, Gavin Sheets played three games, had 12 at-bats, hit 333 with a 1,000 OPS. He had that big home run in game four. It was really the, the only thing that the offense did. There too. Exactly. Uh, Jose Abreu, 857 OPS in the postseason. He hit 357 was his average. Uh, remember, this was mostly a singles offense for this White Sox team, but there were guys that were able to come up to the plate and produce. Tim Anderson hit 368. His OPS only 737. It was a lack of extra base hits, which is why you see that difference. Luis Robert, 
was the stud, in my opinion, when I was watching it with just my eyeballs. And when you look at the stats, he was the MVP of the postseason. 467 at the plate, a 1.022 OPS. He played all four games. He had 15 at-bats. He had seven hits. He scored four times. He never left the ballpark, but he was up there and he was producing. Guys that let you down? Uh, Yasmani Grandal had a big home run in game three, but his OPS was 635, and he hit 143 for the series. Leary Garcia only hit 200. Again, had a major moment in game three, but that wasn't good enough for the postseason. Adam Engel disappeared in the limited action that he had. And more from Aloy Jimenez with an average of 294, but an OPS of only 588. He wasn't getting the big hit. Yohan Moncada, 250 with an OPS of 544. All of that was disappointing. But that's a small sample size. It's three, four games, depending on which guy you're looking at. Let's take a look at the season real quick. And just some numbers I want to give you, as I, especially when I look at their splits and their B-war, their baseball reference war. We had a couple of guys that were worth some wins. Tim Anderson led the team in 2021, 4.6 wins above replacement, according to baseball reference. Yuan Moncada had a four, Grandal with a three, seven, Luis Robert with a three, six. If he played the whole season, it's probably a nine. Again, the MVP, in my opinion, of those four games at the plate and defensively and the MVP of the season, if he would have played the entire season, that's the star of the team. Start wrapping your head around it. He's your best player. He is. Easily. And then Jose Abreu with a three. After that, you got a, a two war for the season from Leary Garcia, a one and a half war from Adam Engel, and everybody else is like less than a half of a win above replacement or negative. Negative guys were like Brian Goodwin. Don't want to see him anymore. It was a nice little story. Zach Collins was a negative war. Zevi Zavala was a negative war. We have something to work on with our catching position. So these are the kind of overview things I kind of want to throw out there before we start the discussion. Because we have we have guys that performed, but it wasn't spectacular this season. You know, there, there were some guys that took a step back. There were guys like Jose Abreu. Maybe let's dive into him first. For his entire career, Jose Abreu has been a hell of a hitter. But in 2019, we made the point here on this show that against right-handed pitching, he was just a little bit above average with his OPS, with a 772 OPS over the entire 2019 season. In 2020, in a shortened season, he was spectacular. In fact, against righties, he had over 1,000 OPS. He was a Hall of Fame season if it was only two months. An MVP season, in fact. Exactly. And he regressed right back to exactly what he was in 2019 and 2021. In 2019, his splits against lefties was 1,000. It was like 1.009. And in 2021, it was 969. Close enough. And in 2019, he was a 772 against righties. And he was a 788 against righties in 2021. And when we finished the 2019 season, I said he shouldn't be in the middle of the order, batting in the three or four spot against right-handed pitching. And I'm back on that bandwagon because I've seen two full seasons that now show numbers contrary to a small 60-game schedule that was in 2020, and he continues to get older. But does that mean, Ed, that you don't want him back next year? No, I. Th- there's no reason to get rid of him. There, there's no reason... To take him off of the team. First of all, the statistics portion of it and his splits and all that stuff, you can look at that, but then also realize that this is the guy that Aloy Jimenez still looks up to and that Luis Robert looks up to and Yohan Moncada looks up to. And you don't just take those guys away because they're starting to struggle as they get older. But 
does that mean that maybe he is, like you said, bumped down in the order a little bit? Is that something where you do give him more days off and play more matchup baseball with him, especially if you're going to rotate a few different guys through? Sure. Uh, does that mean that maybe he's got some later Paul Canerco-like years in him where he is going to be a part of the team and he's going to be an important part of the team in big games, but he's not going to be the guy that you're going to sit there and say, I'm going to plug him into the three-hole or I'm going to plug him into the cleanup spot and just let him go? Because it's a reality that as professional as he is, as prepared as he is, as good as he is, and all the things that have been said about him in his now seven-year career in the majors – and going back to his days in QB even, all those things may still be true, but the fact is, is that the body just doesn't respond. And this is what happens to old power hitters. Their average drops, they struggle with certain things that they didn't used to struggle with or they could get by on, and you watch their stats just drop off. But he was one of the only guys on the team this year to crack 30 home runs. In fact, he was the only guy to crack 30 home runs on this team, and you know some of the other guys might have done so had they played a full season. We had a bunch of injuries, of course. So you can't discount that, and you can't just sit there and say, let's create another hole in the lineup because we already have some holes in the lineup that need to be filled, and this is not a team of unlimited means. So what are you going to get for Jose Abreu on the market is the other question. If you're going to get rid of the guy, there's got to be something coming back that is better than what he is, and he, and he means way more to the team than you know trading him for uh, you know insert first baseman, replacement first baseman here. Right, and here's the thing. Jose Abreu, at this point, brings a certain value to you that is not measurable for other teams. Like, if Abreu goes to another team in a trade, they're not going to take into account what he means to their players. Like, he has that extra intangible that I don't think you can measure with statistics. On the other hand, though, he's not the middle-of-the-order guy, especially against right-handed pitching going forward. And I think if you continue to shoehorn him in there... You are doing it at a detriment to your team. Listen to the guys that did better than Jose Abreu in 2021 against right-handed pitching this year. Uh, here's the list. Now, a small sample size, Adam Angle at a 938. All right, fine. Throw it out of the way, small sample size. Yasmani Grandal a 909, and he's much better against lefties with a 1031. He's a hitter. Uh, Gavin Sheets in his small sample size at a 900 OPS. Luis Robert mm -hmm. is more... More valuable in your lineup against righties with an 860. He's got a 1235 against lefties. The man is a beast, and he's only going to get better. That's a middle-of-the-order guy. Yuan Moncada yeah. was 40 points higher than Abreu. And even with a frustrating season, he was. Brian Goodwin is even going to make the team next year. I'd be shocked if he did. He's a negative war player who fell off after having a couple good months. But he had an 811 OPS against righties. That's higher than Abreu. Tim Anderson and Aloya Menez also above Abreu. There were eight guys that played on this team this year that were better than Jose Abreu against right-handed pitching. And whatever sample size they had, some of them played a full season, some of them, you know, played a good part of the season or had a good stretch. But the, I think the numbers are undeniable when you look at his 2019 being exactly the same as his 2021. That 2020 was like when the light bulb gets bright one last time. And now we're going to see the decline. And I think the decline is acceptable. I mean, he's a negative one run to your team for the entire season. Like in terms of his runs saved, his defense is at negative one. He's basically an average defender. And, and when you see him, he he digs balls out of the dirt. He had a couple of nice plays in the, right. in the against the Astros. Right. 
he's still a useful guy. He's a useful guy. I'm just saying that, you know, as long as you're shoehorning him into the, the three and four spot in the lineup against righties, you're you're doing your team a detriment at this point. Which is not Jose Abreu's fault either. That That's a Tony thing. Yeah, well, I know it's a Tony thing, but it's still it's something you yeah. have to decide internally as an organization. Like when you're sitting down with Tony, these are things you have to talk about. Right. Well, and, and I will say this, though. I think Jose Abreu is the kind of guy that if you go to him and say, look, Pantera is better than you right now. Aloy is better than you right now. Yo-Yo is better than you. You know what You know what Jose is going to say? Hit me seventh. I don't care. I think so. Socks in the basement listeners do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the south side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota, and one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. Let's talk about this team losing Nick Madrigal. Let's approach that now. Because that's going to be a big talking point all offseason. There's two big holes that they have to fill going into this year. and One's second base and one's right field. But I think second base is the harder one to fill. Yeah, and here's the thing. I was told, <laughs> I think all White Sox fans feel this way, because we all read the same thing and we all looked at the same reasoning behind it, that the idea was you're trading a guy who's injured because he can't contribute to this season and you're going for it. But... We can find a guy that's just as good or better in free agency in the offseason. Now, even if Craig Kimbrell plays very well this offseason and you fall short, it's a failure if you don't go out and find a true second baseman that can produce like Nick Mandrigal. Now, one of the biggest issues that we we had in the postseason were there were some outs at the bottom of the order. Like the bottom of the order, imagine Nick Mandrigal in that series against the Astros they don't go through the seven, eight, nine guys like it's like it's nothing. He he throws a wrench into that, and it might have changed the game. I think it definitely changes game two. I think you're definitely going five, even with Tony's mistakes. He he makes a difference there. That said, if you look at him, he's one of the few guys on this team this year that hit over 270. In fact, Luis Robert, in a short sample size, because he only played in 68 games. And Nick Mandrigal with 54 games, the only two guys over 300 beside Tim Anderson with 123 games and 551 at bats. And we always look at OPS, but you got to have guys that can get on base every once in a while. You got to have a guy that is a tough out. You know, if you have a team full of 260 hitters, man, you, you're really relying on those extra base hits and those long balls. And you're going to have stretches where nobody gets a hit for three, four innings. And that's that, you know, that's what we ran into in the postseason. And so that's a valuable guy you got to replace. Well, it's a contact thing with batting average. It's not so much getting on base because he wasn't, he didn't have the highest on base percentage on the team. That's but, true. But there's a lack of contact because you look at the regulars and you get, it's Monty Grandal, 240. It's about his average. 261 for Abreu. That's about where he's probably going to stay for now. 
Uh, you mentioned Anderson. Moncada's at 263, and, and I'll talk about him and Andrew Vaughn in a second here. But, um, yeah, it's basically it's Robert. And then you got to figure that Aloy, who hit 271 this year, uh, might be better off without the injury. He, he, he A full healthy season, he could approach 300 as well. I'll cut him a break because of the, the, the chest injury, and we knew that that was going to impact his swing. Oh, it totally impacted him against left-handed pitching somehow. I mean, all of a sudden, he just couldn't hit it. Yeah, and, and I think there's a number of things that maybe went into there. I, he's about the only guy that I'm going to give a free pass on this year for for amongst the guys that underperformed. But, yeah, there's not a lot of contact in the lineup, and that's part of the problem is, is you know, for a team that does not hit really a ton of home runs, uh, only 190 for the season, and, you know, it doesn't have a huge OPS as a team. It's only 758 as a team. You, you don't have a lot of guys just hitting the ball and putting the ball in play in a meaningful way in meaningful situations. And that's, you know, that you saw that, how badly that cost him against the Astros. Conversely, you saw how the Astros used their ability to put the ball in, in play with authority regularly up and down the lineup into just all of a sudden, without any big blow, without a grand slam or anything huge like that, the Sox are looking up these huge deficits. Yeah, and I'm going to throw out an interesting stat after you said the thing about Nick Madrigal with his on-base percentage. He was seventh on the team this year, uh, if you take everybody, the qualifiers and the non-qualifiers, because he only played in 54 games. Uh, That puts him above Tim Anderson and uh, two points behind Jose Abreu. So that's that's what I mean. It wasn't it wasn't a staggering on base percentage, but he 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 sat right in there good. with those guys this year, and that that's a loss. Yeah. And what I'm trying to get to here, and this is why I'm bringing all that up, is there is a contingent of White Sox fans out there that think it's crazy that the White Sox would go after Marcus Simeon. Our owner doesn't have any money. We're not going to spend money. Have you met Jerry Reinsdorf? Go back and listen to things that we pointed out last show. If you take $18 million off the payroll with Dallas Keuchel, if you're able to move him, that's the equal of Marcus Simeon's contract this year. If you're not going to keep Craig Kimbrell, if you just let him go, you'd save $15 million. You had every intention of paying him next year. I heard that come out of your general manager's mouth. Hernandez, who you're getting rid of, because you wouldn't keep this guy. This guy was a negative war for the season, a a below average OPS uh, compared to all other OPSs. He was under 100 for his, his OPS plus. Yeah. He, he was a terrible decision. He didn't work out. He was the best you could probably do in that trade deadline. But now you got to go out and get a real player. If you want to win a championship, why aren't you trying to find a way to bring Simeon onto this team? I'm, I'm sick of being told we got to piece things together and find guys that aren't the answer in the hope that they'll become the answer. This guy had 265 last year and he had an 873 OPS. And a 133 OPS plus, and he plays a good second base. Home runs, 40 doubles. Right, 45 home runs. He's able to do all of these different things. He was a 7-1 WAR. Guess what? That's the best player on your team right now. That would be the best player on your team right now. Do you want to win a championship? You just want to win another division. I'm sick of hearing this. I mean, he's your target. And your backup is Chris Taylor, who would be perfect for the White Sox, because I've already seen him make several base running errors. And uh, some flubs out there during the postseason. <laughs> yeah, so he he fits right in with this team. But I mean, he's the backup to what you really need to get. I'm I'm really getting tired, Ed. I mean, if I'm crazy, if you think I'm nuts to think this team should be in the market for this player, 
But I, I'm really getting tired of the idea of, well, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf's not going to spend on that. Jerry Reinsdorf uh, okayed his, his general manager adding a second baseman with a $6 million contract and a relief pitcher with a $16 million contract. I know you're not paying that entire season, but that's what they're worth. And that's what they're worth next year at the trade deadline that you can clear off the books now and you can move on from Keuchel if you wanted to and clear more space. So this isn't even a, like an adding payroll. Like, sure, your payroll will be bigger next year than it was last year. But what you're doing is subtracting stuff that you told us point blank you were keeping because you believed in all this. And when it didn't work out, you can clear it now, theoretically, and go after a guy like this and, and, and other players. It may be the offseason, but do not forget that Cork and Carry in Beverly and Cork and Carry at the park are still there for you. Cork and Carry at the park at 33rd in Princeton is a neighborhood pub in that offseason. Still has great food, still has an incredible selection, still has that beautiful bar. And in Beverly at 10614 Southwestern Avenue, the original Cork and Carry is there for you as well. Both locations have TVs all over the place. Great spot to watch a Bears game. Hawks game, whatever games you watch in the offseason. Both have bars with many taps. Both of them can be rented out for parties. In fact, the location in Beverly has many different rooms in it of different sizes, depending on the party you're having. And while the weather is still warm enough, that outdoor patio is perfect for the fall. Learn all about both locations at CorkandCarry.com. The neighborhood pubs for Sox fans are Cork and Carry pubs, 33rd in Princeton at the park and in Beverly, 10614 Southwestern Avenue. If you look at right field right now, there's nothing out there that I like. There's nothing out there. If you go find a right fielder or a center fielder or a left fielder you think can play right field, go through the list. They're either good at hitting and terrible at defense or terrible at hitting and good at defense. And you have so many comparable players you can just throw out there next year that are already in your organization. The one position where you can make a real impact and change is second base in Simeon. He should be really one of your main targets because you've gotten to the point now where what free agent are you bringing on in the outfield that's a massive upgrade over what you have available that you could put out there? Even if you put Andrew Vaughn out there for the entire season, like what, who are you going out there and getting that's going to give you a massive upgrade over what you could put out there now? I can't find it on the list, but I can look at second base and say, you had Semyon, you have massively upgraded your team. That's the guy who upgrades all your position players. Yeah, if you're, if you're looking at free agency only, okay, and we can get into trade scenarios and stuff, but those, you know, that kind of speculation never really pans out. Not the way those of us who engage in such activities ever really intend them to. But if you're looking at the, at the free agent list, it's it's not pretty for right field, and it's not great behind Simeon. And, and Taylor's a good player, but, you know, there's a drop-off there. You don't have, at Charlotte, anything really coming up to take over second base unless... You believe that Jake Berger can make the transition. He is really the only guy that's down there that represents any kind of value because they spent a lot of time with Matt Reynolds and Marco Hernandez playing in the middle of that diamond at, at Charlotte last year. And those guys are journeymen. They are not they are they are worse than Caesar Hernandez by far. So you're you're gonna count on Jake Berger to come up and become a second baseman. Or you're gonna talk about putting Yohan Moncada back at second base. Well, 
that's not necessarily a good idea either. He was, you know, he was not a good second baseman in particular when he played there. I mean, he was okay, you know, wasn't great. Um, so, I, and I don't think that, that you want to move him around. Let me just back up your point here about the lack of depth at right field. You can go right now on Spot Track, which looks at all the payrolls and the free agents and, and everything else. And that's where else. you and, and I are looking list, right now. Right. And as they list the available right fielders, Charlie Blackman with a 0.9 wins above replacement B-War. He is no longer what he used to be, and he is he is everything with the Rockies, what you talk about with Rockies leaving Colorado. Right, exactly. He's past his 35th birthday, and he's got a player option for $21 million. He's staying. Yeah, he's <laughs> going to eat all that money that the Rockies have. He's not even going out there. And if he did, would you want him? Is Dexter Fowler worth the $17 million that the Angels paid him last year? No, he barely played. He bar- he got hurt. He was done. Right. He's done. Exactly. Nick Castellanos has an option that he can activate with Cincinnati. So he's likely not going to be available. Michael Conforto, I keep seeing people say this. Oh, get Michael Conforto, twelve, a little over $12 million last year. Michael Conforto's got a uh, a negative like defensive impact on your team. I looked this up. He's he, yeah. he gives up runs, and he's not like he's a superstar with, with the bat. I don't see what he's going to bring you that you couldn't put together with a platoon of Sheets and, and Vaughn in right field, as ridiculous as that sounds. I don't think I don't know what he brings you that you couldn't get with just those those two guys. And I don't want to platoon Vaughn. I'm just trying to make a uh, like a, an example here. But with the with the guys you have on your team, what does he do? So unless you're going to go out and you're going to make a trade for a right fielder, which means you're dealing away other players to get something, which is where Craig Kimbrell probably comes in now. Right field is not something you can fix. You have to go after if you're going to upgrade anything in free agency. Second base is a, is easy. it's an easier spot, right? Right. Swing for the fences and go at second base and fix that. That's what you have to go do. Well, and, and you have, you have options like like you said internally, and and I agree with you. I don't think anybody wants to see Andrew Vaughn as a platoon player, but if Gavin Sheets is going to spend the time as a strong side platoon, which he should probably not face lefties all that often, at least based on what we've seen so far. But if you're going to put Sheets out there and right. And go with him as an everyday player. And, and and I don't see why you're not giving Gavin Sheets that opportunity walking into the 2022 season. At this point, you, you have done something that the White Sox don't do very often. You have actually brought along a legitimate home run hitting threat, a legitimate power bat. A lefty power bat. That's what's crazy about it. When when does that happen? Robin Ventura, I think, is <laughs> the, the name that comes to mind. Um but Gavin Sheets should be an everyday player, and if he's a DH, fine. If he's the first baseman in waiting, that's fine. If you're going to run him out to right field, if you, if you think he's the better fielding option, that's great too. But you can find a right-handed hitting platoon partner for him very easy amongst all of those you know all of those players that are out there. You you can start getting into the lower levels of those guys and sit there and say somebody like Adam Duvall, who does nothing but hit home runs off of left-handed pitching, would be a fine little partner at this stage in his career for the younger Gavin Sheets. Michael Conforto, by the way, a negative four total runs saved last year. Uh, Andrew Vaughn was at negative seven as a guy who'd never played the outfield before. I think you pretty much have the same thing defensively out there. Michael Conforto's a career 255 hitter. I, I mean, he's he's the exact right. same thing that you got going exactly. on up and down the lineup already. I have more faith that Andrew Vaughn takes another step than Michael Conforto 
does anything to help you out, which is worth going out in free agency and spending money that you could spend better in other places. That's how I see it when I look at it. You might be looking at your podcast player right now, screaming that I'm crazy, but I, I just think if you go and you look at the numbers, it's, it's pretty plain. You, you can't just be upset and get rid of guys on your team unless you're getting something back that improves your team. And I just don't see how he would help you out in free agency. Again, I think the answer is at second base. I also think the answer for all of you out there, if you're looking for some cash, is to win $1,000 in our Sacks in the Basement guest bounty brought to you by Elite Benefits of America. Visit them today at EliteBenefits.net. Talk to Butch Zemar at 708-535-3006. Butch is going to help you with your small business, mid-sized business, health insurance. Heck, he'll take care of the, he'll take care of the big guys too. All right, but what he does is he goes out there He figures out all the different health plans, and then he says, this is what I have for you, and we can save some money doing this, and we can give your employees like three or four different options, and we can move money around this way so it's cheaper for you, it's cheaper for them, they stick around, you're able to give them something that most businesses of your size cannot do if you've ever thought about either making a change or going out there for the first time and providing health coverage for your employees reach out to Butch at EliteBenefits.net and they are giving away $1,000 to the best guest, the biggest guest, the guest of the offseason. And he could be, he or she could be a baseball player. Uh, they, they could be somebody within an organization. They could be somebody who's written about baseball. They could be a movie star. They could be a recording artist. They could be anybody. And we're just looking for guests that we've never had on the show before and uh, you have an opportunity to win $1,000, uh, go to SocksInTheBasement.com. I want to say that Ed is putting something up or already put something up in the Mismatch Socks blog that goes through all the rules or the details if you want to learn more about it, correct? It'll be up there, yep. Before we get out of here, I just want to go over the defense thing because I started off the show saying we were going to get over the, go over the defense thing. In terms of total runs saved, and this goes off of the FieldingBible.com that uses a bunch of metrics and tries to figure out guys who save you runs. And looking at position players who save you runs, it's not shocking that Adam Engel saved the most runs this year. Luis Robert was second. Tim Anderson and Yohan Moncada were tied for third. Dallas Keuchel is above everybody. Dallas Keuchel, because of the way he holds runners on, he actually was able to save you two runs just because he's good at that. And he had a total of 12 runs saved. Just like last week, I keep sitting around saying, we need a guy who's just like Dallas Keuchel. But pitch is better, and you're like, but maybe Dallas Keuchel will just be better next year. Like, I keep, every show I keep coming back to, maybe we're just keeping him. Like, we can come up with the money for Simeon and without having to get rid of Keuchel and just make that move and keep everything else internal or make a trade after that. All right, but other than that, you got a couple of guys that saved, like, one run, like Jimenez in the entire season. Jake Berger saved a run this season. A couple of pitchers did it. You got a bunch of guys who are basically even defensively. You got a couple of guys that were like a negative run saved. Yasmani Grandal was there, but basically even. And then you've got the real bad defensive players. Cesar Hernandez, negative 11. He's a glove guy, supposedly. That's why you got him. The only guy worse than him, Zach Collins at negative 18. All right. These are your problems. I'm going to give Andrew Vaughn's negative eight overall and negative seven in the outfield. I'm going to give that a break because he's a rookie. And he was never really an outfielder to begin with. I mean, that's a guy playing out of position and, and, and honestly doing pretty decently, all things considered. Right. And then Gavin Sheets is at the exact same thing as Michael Conforto, as I just pointed out, that I've seen people fall in love with. All right. And he's a negative four uh, defensive run save, just like him. This is a guy who's a first baseman in the minors. And 
basically demands to be plugged into the outfield to figure it out, to try and play it a little bit at Birmingham, a little bit at the alternate site last year, and really is coming into this season as an outfielder for the first time because he is committed to trying to make this club in some fashion besides being a DH and just waiting for Jose Abreu to not be here. So you have an opportunity, I think, for Sheets and for Vaughn to improve on those numbers next year. But the, the thing that worries me is, is that some of these guys that are having these kind of mediocre or average or slightly below average numbers, they're playing in their natural positions. They're playing where we intend them to play. There was really, besides Vaughn and Sheets, there's really nobody that was playing out of position this year. So when you see Zach Collins, a career catcher, this is what he's always been, and he is that bad. <laughs> you need to be worried about this. I know. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found, and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.